Amen. Go ahead and remain standing this morning. Look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. In case you're wondering, Brother David did not take up smoking this week. He's sick, okay? But uh, Luke chapter 11 here. For about 80% of our Sunday mornings the last year, we've been going through the book of Luke. And uh, we know Luke chapter 19 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And from that verse, we could somewhat uh, outline the whole book of Luke. The beginning, Jesus is coming. And what we've been in almost the last year, Jesus is seeking. And he's continuing to seek as we find him here in this text today. Uh, last week, we began chapter 11, and in chapter 11, we received a lesson on prayer from Jesus himself. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave them a pattern for prayer, and then he gave them two examples of prayer. One was the neighbor knocking on his other neighbor's door at midnight and asked him for bread, and he kept asking for bread until that guy gave him some. And then the next uh, illustration he gave was as a father who loves his children that wants them to have uh, what they need. And I hope this last week you have been... Uh, thinking of that and praying more and asking God to help you in your daily life and for the needs that you have. And now we're looking here at Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. It says, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said he casted out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom Divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he shall take from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. We had a lot of verses there in this chapter. But today we're going to be looking at, in these verses, the thought of overcoming the strong man. Overcoming the strong man. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your word, for the privilege that it is to be in church together this morning. And God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, help me as I preach your word, to give it out clearly and, and, Lord, helpfully to those that are here, the way you'd have me to preach it. I pray it be with those that are uh, in the pew this morning. God, help each and every one to receive your word and to be, have a ready heart uh, God, for whatever you have for them today. Lord, bless the service here. Bless the children's service in the other building. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am not afraid of many things in life. I don't mind heights. I love dogs. not afraid of dogs. I've shared a couple stories of how I've been bitten by them a couple different times. 
I enjoy new challenges. I don't like change, but I enjoy new challenges. I, I sometimes have been known to run to danger. I love an adventure. I'm the guy my wife calls when she finds a spider. I don't mind being in uh, dark places. But there is a ferocious creature that I despise. And about 15 years ago now on our honeymoon, my new wife and I, we were walking to dinner there and along the beach about to have a nice dinner and I was her new protector and I, I loved being the, finally the man of the house. We're starting our new life together and we were walking along the beach going to the restaurant there one evening and as we were walking holding hands, a mouse ran across my feet. And as that mouse ran across my feet, something happened within me. I made this squealy noise. I, I screamed a little bit, and I, I jumped back, and, and my new wife laughed at me, and she still laughs about this to this day. I hate mice. I think they're disgusting little animals. I hope there's no uh, um, people here that have those as pets today. If you do, I, I'm, it's a big mistake you've made, okay? If I see one, I, I'm inclined to have some sort of weapon in my hand. I'm man enough to admit this morning I fear those than possibly any other animal in the entire animal kingdom, okay? About eight years ago now, we were, we were experiencing a cold winter, and I was going through some things in the garage, and, and there I found some evidence that there was a mouse or more than one in our garage. I did not appreciate the intrusion. And I, I couldn't find it. I moved boxes around. I'm trying to find where they are to take care of business there and, and uh, never saw it. And that summer, we were cleaning out some boxes, and, and I found more evidence of mice. So I went to Amazon, and I ordered the largest box of mousetraps that money could buy. And I taught my boys how to set these things, and we began to try to hunt these mice down to take care of this problem. And we, we did catch a few that summer. And, and then the next summer, we find that the problem's still there. It's nemesis. One day, my kids were outside playing in the yard, and I, I come out to find they were playing with a, a cat. There's no collar on this cat, and I'm allergic to cats. I don't really, um, I don't love them as much as other people do. I will not say the other word about that, okay? But as my kids were loving this cat, and it's following them around our property like a, a dog would, I went to the kitchen, and I got a can of tuna. I opened it, I put it on the porch, and then I... You know, something in me moved me to make a bed on the porch for this cat, and it stayed. And we named the cat Tuna after what it really liked to eat. And one morning, shortly after that, I walked out the front door, and on the, the rug right in front of our front door, there was a mouse laying there. It was dead. The prettiest mouse I ever saw. And the cat sitting there next to it, somewhat proud of its catch, and it's like, good cat. A couple days later, I'd walk out the front door again. There's another mouse. So I made a deal with this cat. I went to, the, I went to Walmart. I bought a litter box and I bought in bed a couple cat toys, some actual cat food, and the cat moved into the garage. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm not, I'm, I am not stretching the truth at all this morning when I tell you almost every day for about a month, I would open the garage door and there would be either a whole mouse or part of a mouse that this cat had hunted down and left for me as part of our agreement. Victory was mine. And all God's people said, amen. Okay? You know, there's a battle going on in this world against good and evil. And there's many people without Jesus that are under the bondage of sin this morning. 
And for the Christian today, without and for the Christian today, even though you're no longer held captive by sin, we study that in the book of Romans, even though Satan has no rule over you, the Bible still tells us that there is a war raging in the world we live in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil is out to seek and destroy. And in the book of Luke, as we've journeyed through here and seen this uh, journey of Jesus and, and, and his life, we've seen an on and off battle between Jesus and the devil in the scriptures. And Jesus, in those battles, has shown the authority of God. He has stood strong in the midst of temptation. He has defeated him every step that he has made against him. Every time his power was demonstrated, Jesus won. But also every time his power was demonstrated, we saw the enemies against the work of Jesus would grow more and more. We've seen often in the book of Luke, Pharisees or other Jews that were opposed or uneasy at what Jesus was doing. And because he wasn't really the Messiah they pictured they were going to have. And we look here in, the, in chapter 11, we see some more skeptics as to how these things were being accomplished. And as we go through the book of Luke and get closer to the crucifixion, opposition to Jesus is going to continue to intensify. And the arguments that they would pose against Jesus, the arguments given by these religious leaders would become more irrational and more inconsistent. Then they would look to him and ask him for more signs because they continued to refuse that he was who he said he was. It breaks our heart as they read this to understand those most likely to believe neglected to believe. But as you look here beginning in this 14th verse, we, we find an accusation against Jesus. If someone once said, you can tell a man there's 400 billion stars in the galaxy and he'll believe you. But if you tell him that that bench has wet paint, he's going to have to touch it to know it's true. Why is that? Regardless of how much evidence there is, people will always be skeptical of the truth. This is exactly what was happening in Jesus' ministry in the Bible times. This is also what we find throughout our world today. And even though these people saw miracles and wonders with their own eyes, they neglected to believe. You know, here in the book of Luke, these Pharisees no doubt would walk through the street and they would see a man looking at them that the day before was blind, begging for money and food. They, they, they no doubt had somebody possibly run by that months before was lame and, and had not walked ever in their lifetime. There was people they knew of that were sick, that were relegant. Those people that were said to be dead are alive because of Jesus. But knowing those things, they still refused to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. As, as we look here in the book of Luke, we, we often find skeptics during Jesus' times of ministry. We look here in verse 14, Jesus was busy helping people. Jesus was busy doing something about what sin had brought, and he comes across a mute man. This man was mute. He couldn't speak because he was oppressed by a demon. There was an enemy within him, and as Jesus had done many times, he cast out the devil. The man began to speak. People were there witnessing that miracle and observing what was going on. And still, as they see it before their eyes, they were still skeptical. I want to tell you this morning, we should never assume that just because we are doing right, that people will spare us from persecution. Never assume just because you are trying to live for God, that life is going to be easy. It's going to be smooth sailing for you. 
There may be people in here that have decided to live for Jesus. You've maybe stopped doing certain things or started doing certain things you weren't doing before. And people may see those changes in your life and wonder what possibly the motives could be for those changes. Some people may see you beginning to talk a little different or to go to church more or to read your Bible or talk about God some in your life. They may wonder what the angle is with this new change. Could be family in your life that might just try to push your buttons to find out how different you may be. There may be some that bring up your past against you saying, hey, I know you're doing this, but do you remember what you were doing last month with me? You remember what you did years ago? They, they may say they, they, they'll just be waiting for you and you come back to your senses. Some people in here may have been asked if they've joined a cult. Maybe a coworker mocks you for a decision you make. Living for Jesus does not exempt us from persecution. Actually, the Bible says the contrary. It says all that live godly in Christ Jesus, what's the next word? Shall suffer persecution. These people were skeptical and they wondered where the power came from. We look there at the very last verse of 14. The people wondered how it was possible. They weren't sure if Jesus was who he and others claimed him to be. They wondered why he would be able to do this. They knew he's powerful, but they thought possibly it was some trick. We have this account here in the book of Luke. In Matthew, we have another account as well in Matthew chapter 12. And it says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils, pretty much what we just read here in the book of Luke. And the reaction these people brought forth really showed the condition of their heart. There's many mixed reactions to what was happening here. Some believed it was of the devil. Others believed it might be God. They need to see a little more to make that decision for themselves. But they looked at Jesus here and they said, it's happening because he serves Satan. It's of Beelzebub. These very religious people thought the only way this was possible was Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. They thought Jesus was working for Satan. And you're like, before we get too deep in here, are you, are you preaching on demons today? Or are you really going to preach on the devil today? I'm not going to spend too much time here, but Satan is a real spiritual being. Not just a force of evil. Not just a character people may dress up as from time to time. He was an angel named Lucifer who rebelled against God and commands many other evil spirits, former angels, who also rebelled against God. And he's referenced here as Beelzebub. And so they're accusing Jesus, the son of God, with working with the devil. And we know this morning that Jesus came to do the opposite, didn't he? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God, Jesus, was manifested. He came to this world that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. They called Jesus the highest and holiest one, the lowest and most evil. We, we observe him, they called the one that was pure good, pure evil. They called God the devil. They called perfect holiness, wickedness. Those are the depths they were going to. And they look at him in verse 16 and they said, well, you know, if you're not, can you just give us a sign? Some of them wanted more proof. 
They wanted more evidence of his power. They were still not convinced. But, I, but think about this with me today. What kind of proof could, could satisfy them to this point? They, they've already witnessed many things. What else could Jesus do at this point that he had not done? He's raised people from the dead. He's, he's healed the sick. He's fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. He has calmed storms. Cast out demons before their eyes by his authority. But they accused him of evil motives and to be one serving an evil master. That's a little frustrating as we read that, isn't it? So as they, as they accused Jesus of those things, what did he do? We know they misunderstood his power, but we look in verse 17. Jesus not only heard any words that were said, but Jesus also knew their thoughts. Look at verse 17. It says, but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, knowing what they were thinking, knowing all the ways they were denying him, as he had done several times before, he knew what they were thinking. Can I tell you, as God, Jesus was omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He didn't have to hear whispers. He knew their deepest thoughts. Nothing can be kept from God. He knows he sees, and the Bible says every person will give account of their life before God. Another portion of scripture in Matthew 9, Jesus looked to people and he said, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts. He knew what they were thinking. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, it says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sees all, he knows all. That's the situation before us today. So no matter what these people were saying, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knows your thoughts as well. So as he knew their thoughts, he's now acknowledging those thoughts that they are having are illogical. In verse, verse 18, he says, if Satan also be divided against himself, how shall this kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. We need to understand this morning, Satan's king is not kingdom is not divided. There's no opposing parts in the kingdom of Satan. We understand Satan will not work against himself. When any system, any organization becomes divisive, it will self-destruct. It will fail. We could could say the same thing for many relationships in our life. We could start off with marriage. In a a marriage with opposing sides constantly, a divisive marriage will, will probably fail. A company that has opposing sides might, will fail. A country with opposing sides will fail. A church with opposing sides will fail. Jesus looks at them and he says, this is illogical thinking to think the devil would cast out devils. The devil would stop moving forward the way he's looking to. That is not logical. Satan will not destroy himself. Those forces are destructive of good, not of evil. Then Jesus says in verse 19, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. In that day, there were other Jews, other Pharisees that would practice exorcism. They would try to cast out demons. Sometimes they would succeed, but they would often fail. Every time we find Jesus doing this, Jesus was successful. He spoke the word with his authority. That spirit obeyed. But in spite of his obvious power, these skeptics accused Jesus of casting out demons by Satan's power. And Jesus said, Jewish exorcists do not claim satanic power, do they? The only difference between Jesus and them was Jesus had a 100% success rate and they didn't. 
And he said, if I'm doing what I'm doing by the power of Satan, then the sons of the Jews, your people, must be under the same power. The Pharisees had never accused the sons of the Jews of that. But if they're going to be consistent, they would have to say that Jewish exorcists also did that work by the power of Satan, wouldn't they? They would need to point out the accusation to others, not just Jesus. It's not logical. There's many one-sided arguments against the Bible today, isn't there? Now, these critics misunderstood what was going on. They misunderstood the authority of God. And Jesus is operating under the power of God. And the logical thought would be that he was operating under the authority of God. Look at verse 20. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. So that argument doesn't work. I'm doing this, something nobody else has done, under the power of God. He goes, I'm casting them out. Jesus says, I'm the one doing this. And he says, by that we understand the kingdom of God has come. His power came from God. And Jesus used this phrase, the finger of God, to describe the spirit or the power of God. They were missing out on what was happening right in front of them. Jesus says, I'm doing this under God's power and under the power of my Father. And as this is happening before you, the kingdom of God is being developed and offered to you. If we understand anything about the Old Testament or Old Testament prophecy, this was everything they ever wanted. So for hundreds of years, this is something that they had had in their hands. They memorized it. They prayed for that Messiah to come. Everything they needed, everything they waited for for hundreds of years as it was prophesied. The only difference is that the expectations of what the Messiah would do for them was different than what Jesus was doing amongst them. And he says, I'm doing this with the finger of God. My kingdom is being established and you're not even seeing it. As he said the finger of God, this was a phrase they were very familiar with. If you were to look in the book of Exodus chapter 8, we would find that same word used by the magicians under Pharaoh. These Pharisees knew that scripture. These Pharisees knew that story. They'd been taught all those details. And we understand as God used Moses to go to Egypt and say, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, what did God do? He had Moses introduce different plagues. And as those plagues would be brought on by God, then Pharaoh would have his magicians try to mimic it. And they made it to the third plague before they said this. The magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. He said, I'm doing all these things with the finger of God. And just like Pharaoh, your hearts are hardened. You have to admit it. There's another Pharisee that we find in the Bible in John chapter 3 named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. He's being a little sneaky about it. He didn't want the other Pharisees to find out. And you know what Nicodemus said to Jesus? He said, no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He recognized the finger of God on Jesus. The logical thought for them, all these things, all this good coming would be to believe that God had done what he said he'd do. Jesus, as he looks at them and says what we, we find there in verse 20, he says, you should welcome this new rule and open your hearts to its grace. Don't deny what is right before you. 
And then he used another illustration in verse 21. He said, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Jesus is telling a story here, and as we, we look at it, we're going to find out this strong man Jesus is talking about is the devil. He's acknowledging Satan is strong. The Bible clearly affirms that we were engaged in combat with an unseen enemy that is intent on destroying people. The book of 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is that strong man armed. Satan is a powerful spiritual master today. He has the power to over the heart of every unbeliever, every person that has not put their faith and trust in Christ. He has rule over their heart. Anyone without Christ can be used for his use. He said, that's, that's, that's pretty serious. That's pretty drastic. What, what, why would you say that? Scripture tells us, we can look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, speaks of these people before Christ. It said, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Without Christ, that's who rules. Without Jesus, that's the condition of the heart. The unbeliever is not just dead in their sins, but they are under the sway of the devil, and, and they're unaware of that desperate condition. The devil's the enemy. As we look at our world, all the evil in this world is from him. God did not create evil. I can spend a lot of time this morning explaining to you. I'll give you a few verses. Genesis chapter 1, as God created the world, he says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Everything was perfect. We look at 1 John chapter 1, it says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God doesn't create darkness. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Sin is confusion. Sin is contrary to what God has established. God did not author confusion. So where did it come from? The verse we've often used lately is Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says, wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It started with Adam, and it's moved on to us. So, so as we look in the word of God, we understand God did not create evil. Where did it come from? It came the moment the serpent entered. The moment that they fell to his temptation. And from that very moment, all men and women have been cursed with sin. And death. We look in our world, we see war, we see disease, we see hate, we see division, we see addiction, we see lust, greed, filthiness. All from the devil. And he's holding those without Jesus captive. And not only does he do that, but he, sinks, he seeks to destroy, as, as, as Jesus described to Peter, sift you as wheat as a Christian. He wants to tempt all Christians to make a choice to sin to keep them from being a light or to keep them from glorifying their creator. And he's gotten many victories, hasn't he? The devil's stronger than me. The devil's stronger than you. Satan is described as a strong man whose home is secure. Jesus is pictured as a stronger man who overcame him. We, we look in verse 22, it says, But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. 
The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If I ask for a raise of hands this morning, if any people who've ever faced defeat, temptation, any, any of us that have ever had strongholds in our life or emotional pain, I think we could have many of us this morning raise our hand and share some difficulties and we could relate to each other in many different ways. Satan's strong. But as strong as he is, Jesus is greater. The feat of the devil comes when the strongest man arrives and conquers. Paul, as he wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 2, describes it this way. He says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he ruined their party. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. As Paul just described in that chapter, at the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers in authority. He triumphed over them. What no man or woman could ever do, Jesus did in his death and resurrection. And ultimately, Satan is now defeated. But he's loosed until God sends him to his final destination. Victory belongs to Jesus. But these critics had a choice to make. Look at verse 23. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. He that is not with me is against me. To consciously not join Jesus is to be opposed to Jesus. There's there's an option for every single person here, and as Jesus was giving the option, there's an option for each person at that moment when he was speaking. We can join him or we can oppose him. There's no neutral position when it comes to Jesus. This, This is true for every one of us today. You've either chosen him or you've not chosen him. There's no middle ground. You say, well, pastor, you know what? I don't really think I'm against Jesus. Have you chosen him? Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. And then he continued on in verse 24. He's he's speaking of a need for transformation. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Jesus wants all to be renewed through salvation. There, There is hope for all men and women. Jesus says, after the demon is cast out, if the house remains empty, the devil will then come back to the empty house. You know know what that's telling us? It is not enough for an individual to put off the old. But as the old has been put off, the new must be brought in. The book of Colossians says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You know the way of protection in the house? Through the stronger one abiding in the house. This is a warning for us this morning to anybody who may have experienced good changes in their life. There's many places you can go to this world, you can get cleaned up. You can, you can, you can start a, a new life again, you can try to get rid of some things in your life, but this is a picture of those who've cleaned things up but never come to Jesus in salvation. As changes happen, the outward signs of a cleaned-up lifestyle might show. But without Jesus living within that person, they are no better off in the long run. 
remember several years back, I was witnessing to a young man at an apartment complex, and as I began to speak to him, I asked him if he went to church anywhere, and he told me he did, a, a church in, our, in Indianapolis there. And he goes, I just started going there. I'm part of an addictions program. I've been there for the last month. And I said, well, that's, that's wonderful. Congratulations. I'm excited for you that you're taking care of this. That's an important thing for you to get out of your life. I'm glad you found help. And I said, I don't want to take this for granted with anybody. If, do you know for sure right now that if something happened to you that you'd go to heaven? You know that. And he says, well, I hope so. He's like, I think I, think I might. I'm trying to do good. You know, the Bible tells us, and this is what I told him, the Bible tells us that it is not something we just have to hope for, wish for, work for. He says, these things have I written on you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know you have eternal life. And the most important thing in our life is not cleaning up and looking good in front of others and having more discipline and staying away from those things that are destroying our body. The most important thing is who dwells within us. A lot of people go to church for a quick fix. Something bad happens in life, they got this inner, inner demon, they got this problem, this, this stronghold, something they need to get past, and you might come and you hear a message, there's some principles that can help, you, you've, you've sung some songs, you feel pretty good. A little bit of change is happening, but until that person fills their life with Jesus, they do not have complete victory. If we get help from any other power than Jesus Christ and his gospel, we have not gotten true and lasting help. We can clean up and repair the house, but we've done it without a transformation of the soul. There might be someone in here today that's cleaned the house, but the Holy Spirit is not the permanent occupant. There might be someone here today that feels content enough without Jesus that you assume all is well in your soul. But can I, can I plead with you today that your hope is not found in experiences? Your hope is not found in therapy. Your hope is not found in religion. Your hope is not found in the certain philosophies or education of this world or self-help programs. Your hope will only be found and satisfied in Jesus. That's why we have to come to him. You know how simple he's made it for us? Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, for whosoever, anyone, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's as simple as it is. You may feel pretty good today, but unless Jesus is in the house, you will not experience true liberty that comes from him. There's also a need for caution here. Verse 26 says, Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. If there's no follow-up on this life, the demon will return to find the house empty. There's two opposing forces here. Satan and, Jesus, and, and, and God. Satan is scattering and destroying. Jesus is gathering and building. If you don't have him, you need him. If you have him, walk with him. Don't go without him. As a child of God, Satan does not have rule over you. We need to understand that this morning, if you are saved, he does not have rule over you. Sin does no longer have dominion over your life. 
But you can still be tempted. There's still a battle. He may not have the rule over you, but there's definitely a pool. And with that, a daily choice for you to make. We're almost done here. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Skeptics didn't believe, but Jesus authenticated through his, his works, through his power, his victory over Satan. So we must decisively follow him. You've got to make a choice. You know the story of Peter? Jesus looked at him before he was crucified and said, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as weed. And he told him what he was going to do. What did Peter say? Not me. It's not going to happen. And I'm hearing what you're saying. And I appreciate it. But I'll never deny you. What happened? He did. And Peter in his old age, in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, learned something. And this is what he wrote. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Jesus once told me he wants to destroy me. And you know what? He does. Verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. The strong man, the stronger man makes all the difference. Personal reformation is insufficient for spiritual change. It's a good start. But the only way to be free from the power of sin and the devil is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus continued on these last two verses of our text. He shared these truths and a woman in the crowd looked at him and said, Blessed is your mother for giving you birth. It's interesting that in the context of Jesus teaching about demons, the woman kind of pivots. That's usually what happens in, in open conversations like that. Some, some interesting uh, opinion is expressed. She's well-meaning, a little misguided. She's trying to give glory to his mother. She said, your mother is a woman who's truly blessed to have a son like you. And of course, Jesus knew his mother was a good woman and, and God did use her. But he rebuttaled by saying this, yea, rather, verse 28, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus said, natural family ties to me are not the point. The point is, hear the word of God and do it. That's what we need to do. What does God say? We need to hear it. Understand it. Perceive what's been said. We have a lot here, don't we? The first thing any of us need to hear and understand is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to understand that. It says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then he tells us in other portions of scripture, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. 
What about walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh? If you live in the spirit, walk in the spirit. Many things there for us. We need to hear it, then we need to keep it. Blessings come to those who give attention to and follow God's word. A person who's decidedly with Jesus doesn't just have, just doesn't just mouth religious sayings, doesn't just look clean. Instead, they hear his message and they respond. I was going to use an illustration, but my boys aren't here. Can I, bar- can I borrow these guys real quick? They come up here. And uh, Cole, would you mind coming up here? All right, thank you. Do you guys think you were going to preach today? No? Okay. We got, we got two brothers here. Do you guys do a lot of, uh, you guys get along or do you fight a lot? A little bit? Okay. All right. So you're going to be a picture of us, okay? So I just want you to, to face here. How much do you guys wrestle? A lot. Do you fight dirty? Okay. Who, do you always win? Okay. Do you, got, do you want to demonstrate you always win or do you just want everybody to believe you? Believe me. Do you guys believe him? Okay. All right. As much as, much as, as, much as he would try to beat his older brother, as, much as, he, as, as hard as he could fight, as, as much as he could push, he's little right, right now for a little bit of time. He can't win. But what if we bring Cole on your side? Yeah, you think you would or you know you would? I know I would. Okay, let me ask you. You're stronger than your brother, right? You're stronger than him? You think there's any, any scenario where you fight clean, where you win? Well, actually, if you fight dirty, he'll fight dirty back, right? Okay. When the strong, stronger one enters, he's safe. Without him, he's not. With him, he is. You guys can take a seat. There's way too many people trying to get victory over things on their own. We won't. We need to look to the stronger one. Christian, you have him. He dwells within you. Are you walking in him? Are you depending on him? Through Jesus, you don't just get a few months of an improved life but an eternal life of transformation by his power. Every head bowed, every eye closed.